Now, one of the reasons that we decided to spend a little bit extra time in service on One Big Sunday, incorporating kind of a kid's moment into the service, was we were noticing this kind of gap in sermon retention from our adults. And so we're like, okay, how do we get our adults to better understand what we're talking about each week? And so we decided that we would give you two sermons on a Sunday morning to maybe help you all. The kids, they have it under control, but uh, you adults, if you hear nothing else that I said, just remember that it's Johnny Appleseed's birthday. Well, we are kicking off a brand new sermon, as you now know, and we are calling it The Wisdom of Trees. And over the course of the next seven weeks, we are going to be looking at seven principles for flourishing. We think that there is a lot that we can learn from trees. In fact, they're among kind of the oldest, the most resilient, the most incredible organisms on the entire planet. My guess is you've had a moment or an experience in your life where you marveled at the beauty, the majesty, kind of the incredible nature of a tree. Maybe it's in your backyard and you sit out there now that we have nice cool weather here in the fall and you look at the trees. Maybe it's been on a walk through a street. Maybe you've had the opportunity to spend some time in a forest or in nature and you walk through and you just, there's something different about being around trees. Well, what we're going to look at is what the trees have to teach us about our own lives. You know, it's no coincidence that trees are operative metaphors throughout kind of all of the major world religions. You just pick one, and at some point in their teachings and in their wisdom that they contain, they relate the human life in some way, shape, or form to trees. Partially because they're accessible to all of us, but also because... I do think that there is something that God has created, imbued them with, that I think we can learn from. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at what trees have to teach us. And we think that really there's a lot about what it looks like to flourish in our own life. Because really, no matter what the avenue we choose to pursue, we're all after flourishing. We're all after kind of life to the fullest sense. You have maybe have different language for it, the good life. Um, whatever you may call it, but whether you realize it or not, we're all trying to pursue the best possible life possible. We just choose different means and different avenues for doing that. We have a variety of options available to us. Everybody on social media and the bookstores and the TV pundits on stations, they all have some articulation of what it might look like to live the good life. And no surprise, nobody seems to agree with each other about how you actually arrive at the good life. And so we think that through the combination of the wisdom of trees and scripture, we have some, some good details as to what that might look like for us. So this morning, we are going to be talking about the first of the seven principles. And this is, it's going to sound a little elementary, but over time as we unpack it, hopefully it'll feel a little more significant and profound. But the first is this idea that Trees live with a you got unwavering sense of purpose. Now, you have never seen a tree that mid-growth decided to become a bush, right? You've never seen a tree change its mind about what it was going to become. You take an apple seed, you plant it in the ground, it begins to grow into an apple tree. You are never surprised 10 years, 15, 30 years later that it has decided to change and become an orange tree, right? This seems obvious to us, but trees are clear in their sense of purpose. An apple tree is always an apple tree, is always an apple tree. 
In the same way, because we know that trees are clear in their purpose, because they live purposefully, you never go to an apple tree hoping that maybe one day it'll give you an orange. You never go to an orange tree hoping that one day it gives you an apple. You can trust, you can depend on the consistency of the tree throughout the course of the tree's life based on its purpose, based on the kind of tree that it is. And you can even look at the fruit of the tree to determine everything you need to know about the tree. That's why some of the trees in your backyard, you're like, I don't know what kind of tree this is because it doesn't produce evidence of the type of tree that it is. But with trees that produce fruit, it's always really clear what kind of tree this is. And so the question for us this morning is, what does it look like to take this principle of purposeful and apply it to our own lives? And so as you think about this, you can think about this in any context you wish. For your individual life, you can ignore your friends and family. You can just think about it for yourself, if that's helpful to you. Or you can think about it in the context of your relationship. You can think about it in the context of your family, your place of employment. You can even apply this to the church as a whole. And this is what we think when we define the sense, this principle of purposeful, it looks like. It says purposeful is living from a deep sense of purpose and a positive vision of the future that one can articulate and use as a guide for decision-making. Now, no word was wasted in this definition. Living from a deep sense of purpose and a positive vision for the future that can be articulated and used as a guide for decision-making. Now, how many of you feel like you have clarity around your sense of purpose in life? Any takers this morning? Any brave hands? A couple of them, okay? How many of you not only feel like you, could, you have a sense of purpose and clarity around that purpose, but how many do you feel like you could come up here this morning and articulate that purpose? Even fewer hands. Now, here's what I do know is true. Whether you are aware of your purpose or whether a purpose has happened upon you, we all use our purpose in the ways that we make decisions. You see, our purpose, the vision for our life, what we aspire our life to be, to look like, it informs all of our decision-making. And that decision-making filters into our belief systems, our values, our priorities, the choices that we make upon how we spend our time, our efforts, our energies, our resources, our relationships are informed. All of this flows from whether you're aware of it or not, our sense of purpose. Because it informs our values and priorities. And that's the thing that we use to make decisions in life. Now, what happens for most of us is that we aren't always as intentional as we'd like to be in our life. Sometimes we feel aligned with a sense of purpose. Sometimes we feel aligned with our values and our priorities. But other times... Often, most of the time, we get pulled off course. We get pulled out of alignment based on things that feel urgent and immediate. And so oftentimes, you kind of wake up, and it's the end of the week, and you're like, wow, it felt like life really happened to me this week. You didn't feel like you were the one kind of dictating the terms of life, but that life just occurred, and you were just holding on for the ride. What would it look like for us today to live with a, a clear sense of purpose, one that we had like laser focus on that we could articulate and one that informed all of our values and our priorities. This is kind of the picture that scripture paints for us. And in a second, we'll look at this metaphor 
that it gives to us about what it looks like to live in this way. But what so often many of us do is we bounce around from conflicting or competing purposes, different visions for life. Some of us, we oscillate between kind of this vision of life that's defined by how much we can achieve, how much success that we can gain, whether it's in school, whether it's in our places of business. We measure ourselves based on the way that we climb the ladder, the way that our status and rank increases. And that informs our priorities and our values, how long we stay at work, what relationships we do invest in and don't invest in, how we spend our time, energy, resources. All of these things flow from and stem from the sense of purpose around achievement. Now for you, maybe it's not achievement. Maybe for you, your sense of purpose comes from kind of your social standing and your relationships, the ways that you are known and know others. You want to be the person who walks into the room and everybody knows your name. And if they don't, they will shortly because that's really important to you. For others of you, you would rather just never walk into a room and that's not important to you. But for some of us, being well-known and well-liked, having a positive kind of social approval really dictates so much of our efforts and energies. For others of us, it's appearance, it's health, it's beauty. Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's about acquiring some sense of security that we believe we can gain from a certain amount of material possessions. And so we spend all of this time, effort, energies. It's how we orient, prioritize our whole lives. Because if we could get this amount, then we would have enough to be secure. We wouldn't have to worry. We would have happiness. We would finally achieve the good life. We would be flourishing, so to speak. For others of you, maybe it's personal freedom. You just want the ability to choose and go and do as you see fit without anybody to tell you what's right or what's wrong. You want total autonomy from kind of the responsibilities of those around you. You can see there's all of these different competing purposes. And sometimes we oscillate between several of them. And we spend time in one for a while and it feels like we've abandoned and ignored some of the responsibilities and the requirements of these other priorities. And so then we shift back and it feels like, you know, those moments when you're stuck in traffic and you're like, oh, that lane, I'm going to get in that lane. And then you change lanes and then what happens, that lane comes to a stop and then the lane that you were in moves ahead and so then you switch back and you keep switching If you're not a driver yet, trust me, this will start to happen to you. But it doesn't matter. It's like the checkout line as well. No matter which one you choose, at least if you're me, it's always the wrong one. This is how it feels when we're trying to identify what we are living for. Because really, that's what a purpose is all about. It's clarity around what we're living for. So if you had to do an inventory of the places, the ways that you spend your emotional energy the ways that you spend your relational energy, the places you spend your time, the places you spend and the ways you spend your money, if you were just to look at that as like a body of evidence, if you were to look at that alone, what would you discern is the reason you're living? What are you living for based on these things? What are you living for? Now, There's a helpful tool in kind of the world of business that helps people create priorities. It helps them kind of organize how they spend their time, their energies, their resources. Maybe you've come across this, but it's called the Eisenhower Matrix. And let me show you what the Eisenhower Matrix looks like. Now, it's an XY graph kind of going up the X side from low to high are tasks, 
duties, responsibilities that are less to more important. And on the y-axis, moving from right to left, is kind of the urgency of the task and the responsibility. Maybe you have seen this before. Maybe you've used this to some, some success. I've had differing amounts of success with this. But what it does is helps you categorize all the places that you spend your time. So kind of in the upper left quadrant is the important and it's the urgent. And then in the other upper quadrant is the important, but it's not as urgent. And then as you move down to the lower left, not important, but still urgent. And then the last category, not important and not urgent. Now, if you think about the totality of your time, your energy, your resources, where do you, which quadrant do you spend most of your time in? Where is most of your life spent? In which quadrant? My guess is, my guess would be that if you're partially honest this morning, you would say in the important and in the urgent quadrant. Yeah? Some nods this morning. Now, here's what kind of the experts on this tell you. And they say, most of what is in the urgent and important are either things that are like last-minute unexpected crises or things that are important that you have procrastinated on. My guess is that it feels like we spend a lot of our time in the important and in the urgent. And if I was to kind of conduct some business seminar, which I would be the last person on stage conducting a business seminar, but if I was, what I would say is start to prioritize all of the things that you have procrastinated and then, as crises come up, you would have time for the important and the urgent. I think the other place that we probably spend a lot of our time, and this is kind of that sentiment that life is happening to us, is just down one quadrant. That's the not important, but it's urgent. It feels like we spend a lot of time there. Everything that's happening around us, it's like, well, I got to do this. I don't really want to do this. It's not that important. You get frustrated and irritated. Maybe it's just me, because that seems to be the bulk of where we spend our time. But if we were to live with a sense of purpose, if we were to live into our sense of purpose, the goal is not actually to move into the important and urgent category. It's to move over and up into that important, but not urgent. This is living from a sense of purpose and clarity around your why. What are you living for? How do you orchestrate and arrange your life so that everything is in alignment with that which is truly essential. One of the ways that you can do this in your own life is to develop a sense of personal or family values. This was kind of in vogue a couple of years ago. But it's to have a conversation with either yourself or your family members about, okay, how do we make decisions when we have competing values? How do we make decisions when we have competing interests or competing priorities? Because this is really where the rubber meets the road in our life. Because it's never just, well, I have time to do everything, and so you do it in the manner that feels most important. It's when everything seems to be critical and urgent and important and happening right now that you have to start making decisions. How do you begin to evaluate? How do you begin to think through what you say yes to? And what you say no to. And how do you do it in a way that keeps you aligned with your purpose and with your values? 
Now, um, Scripture offers us a suggestion to this. Scripture talks about what it would look like to live according to purpose. And not just any purpose, but a very specific purpose. See, the way Scripture talks about it is it kind of paints a picture of kind of there are two roads diverged in a wood. It uses that language. And it talks about two different types of life. The wise life and kind of the foolish life. And you see this through the Proverbs and some of the Psalms and then some of the writings in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Just in all across Scripture, what you see is Scripture talks about there's a way that you can live, something that you can live for that leads to life and to flourishing and to abundance. And then there's everything else. Now, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is writing, trying to encourage kind of a group of followers of God about what it would look like to live according to a better sense of purpose. And he sets it up with a contrast. And the first contrast is kind of everything else that you can live for that's not aligned with God. And he calls this following in the way of man. And what he says is he says that it's like a a bush in the middle of a desert. And so you start to get this imagery, this metaphor, kind of like this dry bush. If you grew up in West Texas, it's just life. You know, it's just, but this is kind of the, the picture that scripture is painting about what it looks like when you follow all of the other kind of offered priorities and purposes that exist in life. And then it contrasts it with a different picture. And this is what it says. This is Jeremiah 17. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And this idea of trust is kind of a, a holistic sense. It's a, an alignment and an orientation of your entire life. This isn't just some type of intellectual assent. It's not just believing in the existence of, but it's about allowing kind of your relationship with God to inform every aspect of your life. It is the what are you living for is kind of devotion and obedience and faithfulness to God. It informs your relationships. It informs your time, your energy, your values, how you make all of your decisions flows from this sense of purpose. Blessed, full of life, flourishing is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And then it goes on. And this is the word picture. And this is why we're using this scripture this morning. It says, they are like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. You can imagine kind of this idyllic scenario. Maybe it's in the middle of a garden, but this kind of babbling brook running along and this big tree, the root systems that extends down into the water. Scripture says, this is what life lived with God as your purpose looks like. It's a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream has continual access to that which is nourishing and rejuvenating. It has continual access to the source of life. It says, it shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. Now, what I love about this word picture that sometimes happens when we talk about kind of the Christian life is we get this false assumption that when you finally kind of reorient and devote your life to following God, that everything is okay from that point forward that you have rainbows and butterflies, that there are no difficulties, there's no hardships, there's no challenges, there's no adversity. And that is not a promise in Scripture. And this is what this passage reminds us of. It does not fear when heat comes. As a promise, heat is coming. 
There will be difficulties. There will be challenges. There will be things that try to pull you and steer you off from your purpose. There will be competing interests and ways that culture and society and our community say, no, you should be living for this. You should be acting in accordance to this. It's going to happen. There will be setbacks. There will be loss. There will be sadness and suffering and health scares and all of the things in between. Life will happen to you. But what does it say about this tree? Not that it won't experience it, but that it doesn't have to fear. There is a security in this tree's life because of where it's planted and what it's connected into. Its leaves shall stay green. It won't succumb to the difficulties and the challenges around it. And in the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. I think that's probably the best picture of the Christian life is a tree that never ceases to bear fruit. In fact, this is the passage of scripture that informed the name The Grove. If you ever come and wonder, why do they call it The Grove? It's because of this passage. We think this is the picture of the Christian life. This is what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. Is to be someone whose life is tapped into, whose roots are connected into a life of obedience and faithfulness to God. So that no matter what happens to us, we can endure. We can withstand. We don't have to fear. We don't have to live with this constant kind of low-grade anxiety about what might happen next. Because we, we trust in God. We trust in the life that God calls us to live. And the result is it does not cease to bear fruit. Because really, that's the purpose of a tree, right? Is those that produce fruit, fruit-producing trees, is to produce fruit so that more trees can grow, to produce more fruit, and on and on and on. And so what do you call a collection of fruit-producing trees? A grove. This is our hope and prayer for us, that we would be people who know what we're living for, who have clarity and conviction around living in obedience and faithfulness to the life that God calls us to so that no matter what may happen, our lives reflect the abundance and the generosity and the goodness and the flourishing that God has for us and everybody else. And so this morning as we get ready to celebrate communion, what I love about this sacrament is it's an opportunity to recommit, to reorient, to reprioritize what it is that we're living for. And it's also an opportunity to commit. If you've never done it before, if you've always been on the periphery and you're like, yeah, I kind of understand the whole Christian thing, but I've never really made a decision about getting serious about living this way. It's an opportunity to come down, to to receive the life-giving nourishment that God provides so that the Holy Spirit continues to work and to shape and to form you as you try to live and faithful obedience to God. And so we're going to get ready to open up this table to celebrate the sacrament of communion together. But before that, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we come before you grateful for the opportunity that we have to remember the ways that you call us to life, to call us to an abundant life, a life overflowing with life. God, you desire for all of your children to flourish. So God, help us to remember that flourishing is only found in you. 
It's not in all of the competing purposes and agendas that the world offers, but it is life rooted and anchored in obedience to your son. Thank you for this reminder. Encourage us and strengthen us to live it each and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen.